Uh, while we're on easy, simple topics, I have a question for you. Would you want to stay in a church that lots of people are leaving? Would you want to stay in a church that lots of people are leaving? Well, it's like, why are they leaving? Is the fire alarm ringing? I don't want to stay in that one. Uh, are they leaving because of the preaching? Yes, yeah, the preaching. It's, it's almost always the preaching. Um, <clears throat> They're leaving because they're just not a great fit for kids here. Leaving because the music's too modern. The music's too traditional. Leaving because you name it. In the first century, somewhere in or around, it's hard to be certain, Italy, um, a, a pastor wrote a letter. He couldn't travel to be with his congregation. So he wrote down the sermon he would have preached if he could be with them. And that, that letter, that sermon in letter form, is what we call the, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. He wrote a group of people who were thinking about not only leaving the church, they were thinking about leaving Jesus altogether. They were thinking about going back to the sort of safety and, and familiar routines of their pre-Jesus life. Why were they doing that? Well, you can read in Hebrews chapter 10 a list of the sorts of things that followers of Jesus were experiencing in their neck of the woods, um, imprisonment, being evicted from their homes. What happens when you're evicted from your home? Your home gets looted. Everything valuable to you gets taken away. Um, you are subject to public taunting and humiliation, and the officials just kind of turn a blind ear to it all. As you read through the book of Hebrews, there's one phrase that gets repeated over and over and over again to those kind of people who are thinking about leaving the church, thinking about leaving Jesus. Hold fast. Hold fast. Don't let go. Hang on. Hold fast. Now, to hold fast to your trust in Jesus when it means ridicule and rejection by most of the people you know, imprisonment, loss of home, loss of safety, loss of security. To hold fast in a time like that to your trust in Jesus takes a lot of courage. If you're that pastor writing that letter, what do you give your people so they can have that kind of courage? And part of the answer is he, he gives them the reality of Christmas. He talks to his people a lot about the God who comes into our world as though knowing that God could help us find real courage in the face of overwhelming fear. Let's hear that story. James is going to come read for us from Hebrews. Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews 9. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, 
So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This is God's word. This is our story. Thanks again to IDX, our student ministry, for letting us borrow their rhythm of uh, God's word and our story. That's the way they respond when they read the scriptures together. In, at IDX. Um, thinking recently about a book I'm reading, this is a picture of a ship called the Endurance. In 1914, it uh, was stranded in the ice off of Antarctica, um, a, a great uh, challenge and adventure to cross the continent of Antarctica on foot had been planned out, but the ice had other plans, and the ship couldn't even reach land before it was trapped hopelessly in ice, and the pressure from the ice um, threatened to crush the ship. And so eventually the order was given by the um, commander of the expedition, Ernest Shackleton, to abandon the ship and to take all the supplies they could off of the ship because they were going to need to to walk several hundred miles across ocean covered in ice uh, to get to safety. It's a, it's a story with a happy ending, so if, if you're going to be anxious, you can stop now. One of the interesting parts of this story is what happened shortly after they left the ship. The ship was eventually crushed and it sank. And now they had to travel a long way and travel light. And so began a sifting process. From all of the belongings they had brought off the ship, what needed to go with them to safety? It was a moment of setting priorities, right? We're in this freezing and below freezing temperatures continually. We've got to walk hundreds of miles uh, to safety without drowning or starving along the way or freezing to death, when life is hardest, what do you hold on to? Uh, Shackleton, the commander, tore three pages out of his Bible, including the page that the Queen Mother had signed and written a prayer for him and the expedition. He tore out the page with Psalm 23 on it and a page from the book of Job that talked about God's command over the ice and snow. And in front of all the men, he took out a personalized cigarette case made of gold and dropped it in the snow. And he emptied all of his gold coins into the snow because he wanted the men to see that that he was living out what he was ordering. When life is at its hardest, you hold on to what is most real. Um, That's where we want to start today, thinking about reasons to hold fast to Jesus. Um, and and we'll, we'll end by talking about some strategies for doing that sort of day to day. Let's unfold the reasons we have for holding fast to Jesus. One is, you know, life gets really hard and in those moments you need to hold on to something real. And this pastor writing to his flock near Italy um, reminded them that Christ appeared in reality 
a real God who was fully God became fully human and he appeared. That is, that's the message being repeated in the just two or three sentences that we read this morning, verse 26 of Hebrews 9. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages. He has appeared. It's a word that means became visible, like came into our world, and not in some mystical, theoretical, foggy, fuzzy form, but in the form of a real human being that you could lay your eyes on. He appeared. He became visible. I was at an event this week with several pastors from the area, and the leader of the lunch was uh, reading a Christmas devotion for us, and the writer of that devotion just meditating on what it meant for Jesus to be a real person in this world and, and kind of locked on to the fact that the very first thing that Jesus had to learn as a human being in this world, the Son of God, fully God, now become fully human, what's the first thing he has to learn? He has to learn to nurse. He's an infant having to learn how to find food several times a day. He's, he's, this is a real Savior who really appeared in our world. Great, but what if he only appeared for the benefit of pretend people? What if he's a real Savior, but he only loves fake folks? <laughs> people who kind of have it all figured out and have it all together and I'm not one of those, so none of this has anything to do with me, right? I'm stuck in the ice, and everybody else is back in Hawaii having a great time, and Jesus is all about them. No. Uh, so, um, you know, getting a summary of your year from Spotify is a thing, right? Wrapped. And, and it'll tell you maybe depressing statistics about how many times this year you listened to the worst song ever written? Or, Well, I'm going to out Trisha real quick. <clears throat> the song she listened to most in 2023 is a song called No Hopers, Jokers, and Rogues. And um, we, have, we have gotten into a, a Cornish uh, group of fishermen who sing, you know, ocean songs. And uh, all the time we spent near the sea in England. And, and they sing this song called No Herpers, Jokers, and Rogues. And, and it's a song that's for people who don't have life figured out. People who don't have any hope. No hopers. The jokers, the rogues, the everybody who like, we don't have much figured out, but we know this. The scramble for success is not the answer. And so they start singing, you know, turn off your engines and slow down your wheels. Suddenly your master plan loses its appeal. And everybody knows that this reality is not real. The reality that's defined by our master plans is not the real reality. We don't know much. We're the no-hopers. We're the jokers. We're the rogues. But we got that much figured out. We want something more real than us. The good news of Christmas is Jesus is a real God who came to save real people. He came to redeem the no-hopers and the jokers and the rogues. And all the people who don't quite fit in and who don't, we're stuck in the ice. Jesus came to love 
the church that everybody else wants to leave. That's the message of Hebrews. He's telling, the, the pastor writing this letter to his people is telling people who want to leave Jesus completely that Jesus came to redeem them. He's telling people who are so full of doubt that, that they don't even know they want to take one more step following Jesus. And he's saying exactly the kind of person Jesus came to redeem. Jesus came to love real people. He's not a pretend God who came into this world to redeem people who are good at pretending. Christ appeared in reality. Good news. There is something outside of you bigger than yourself. And that something is a someone who loves you deeply. Uh, we know that because here's a second reason to hold fast to Jesus even when it seems hard to, even when you're afraid, even when everybody else around says you should leave it behind. Hold fast to Jesus because he appeared and he did it in order to sacrifice himself. When life is hard, I want to hold on to something that's real. And when life is hard, I want to hold on to the person who has loved me most truly. Isn't that what it's like to be human? When things are at their worst, I want to be the closest to the person who has loved me most faithfully, most loyally. That's a good reason to hold fast to Jesus. Now, the way his sacrifice of himself, motivated by love, is described in these verses of Hebrews is in terms of sin. Verse 26, now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. We can miss the beauty of that sacrifice if we misunderstand the word sin. Sinning is a verb. It's a thing you do. So what is it? Well, one way to think about it is it's sinning is, is breaking arbitrary rules imposed on you by a restrictive society. Sin is breaking outdated guidelines on behavior made up by an oppressive church. Increasingly, that is how sin is thought of in our world. It's like, it'd actually be a good thing to do away with the whole concept of sin because it's all about other people who have no business getting in my business, tell me what my business is. When you listen to what Jesus says about sin, whether he says it in Matthew or Mark or Luke, or whether he says it through the writer of Hebrews, or whether he says it through the words of the Psalms or the Old Testament, the voice of Jesus throughout all of Scripture when Jesus talks about sin, he's talking about something way more personal and visceral. He is talking about, he's talking about walking into your great-grandmother's dining room on Christmas Day, and she has been 
working her fingers to the bone for 48 hours to fix the best food you've ever smelled, let alone tasted. And the table is spread with an absolute feast, and you look at it and you go, no thanks, I could do better. When Scripture talks about sin, it's talking about that. It's talking about, it's talking about knowing that, that someone outside of me is the source of all life and goodness and joy. And however much I know about that someone, whether I just kind of have a hazy sense that I'm not my own maker, or whether I know God pretty intimately, sin is looking at the God who is the source of all goodness and joy and saying, no, thank you. I could do better myself. I love my own wisdom in this more than I love you. I love my own desires more than I love what you desire for me. Thank you, but I could do better for myself. Jesus comes to sacrifice himself so that we don't get sentenced to an eternity of self-love. Let me unpack that a little bit. Verse 27 talks about this. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Jesus was sacrificed once so that we don't have to face the kind of judgment that he has faced on our behalf. There are a whole lot of things we could say about that judgment. Let's just talk about this one thing right now. Judgment is, is, is God as judge pronouncing a sentence on us, and that sentence would include this. I hereby sentence you to self-love. I sentence you to live a life in which you get what you want. If you think you can do better for yourself, if you love your vision for your life better than anyone else's, you get to have it for eternity. Every other trace of love outside of yourself removed. No one left to love you but you. Everything interpreted through the lens of self and love of self. Every trace of love by another trapped in the ice, crushed and sunk to the bottom of the sea forever. Jesus takes that sentence upon himself. What he suffered in his death, his crucifixion, was the removal of every trace of love from another for him. He sacrificed himself so that that sentence wouldn't be pronounced on us. But a different sentence could be spoken by God over us. Hint, spoiler alert, you find it in chapter 13, verse 5. I will never leave you or forsake you. There will always be someone to love you. An infinite, perfect love outside of you, bigger than you, better than you, 
Who has loved me most truly? Not myself. Who has loved me most deeply? Not anyone else. Jesus has loved us most truly, faithfully, deeply. He appeared, and the reason he appeared is not self-love, but self-sacrifice for the sake of loving us. All right, one more reason, quickly. Christ will appear. When we take the Lord's Supper every week, we do this kind of uh, rehearsal of what's the mystery of the faith? What is it about knowing this God, this Redeemer, Jesus, that we couldn't know unless he had made it known to us? And we give this like three-part summary. Christ has died, and Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. That concept, uh, the, the idea of a second coming, is right here in Hebrews. Jesus has appeared once, the writer of Hebrews tells us, but then verse 28 says, he's coming again. He will appear a second time, this time not to deal with sin. He came for that purpose already. But this time, he will come to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Um, the word salvation can also be translated healing. That's, that's true throughout the New Testament. When someone comes up to Jesus and says, you know, um, help, and he'll say something like, often, you know, your, your faith has saved you. It could easily be translated, your faith has healed you. Because the, the salvation we're talking about here is a healing healing of everything that is broken and everything that is wrong in our world. That means no more hidden hurts. What's a hidden hurt? What's that kind of hurt that you uh, are always wondering about? What, what's hiding around the next corner of my life? What painful thing you know, life's pretty good right now. We're all on the ship. What kind of ice is out there waiting to crush us? <laughs> um, hidden hurts around the corner. Online tips for Easter egg hunts. It's Christmas, not Easter time, but some of us <clears throat> do weird things. Online tips for Easter egg hunts. Number one, here's what I found. Include notes of encouragement in the little plastic eggs. Notice that we're assuming plastic eggs, not real ones. I got all kinds of trouble with this, right? Um, include notes of encouragement. Uh, number two, don't forget the chocolate. All right, I'm down with that. Number three, be aware that rattlesnakes like the same kinds of hiding places that you do. Right? These are two very different. I think a woman wrote the first article with the first two tips, encouragement and chocolate, and a man probably wrote the, the second article with the rattlesnake thing, right? I know that sounds a little, you know, we were generalizing here. However, um, yeah, thanks for spoiling the mood, Dad, with a rattlesnake comment. It's a hidden hurt, right? Hey, we're just trying to have fun. We're just trying to encourage the kids. Remember that note about encouragement? Open the egg. Hey, kid, don't touch the rattlesnake that's about to bite you. That's not a note of encouragement. 
Open the egg, chocolate, yum, 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 poison. That's the world we live in, isn't it? Can we just plan an Easter egg hunt and not have to worry about what hurt is hiding around the corner? Can we just have Christmas dinner and not worry about what Uncle Snoozy Bags is going to say about politics and destroy the whole mood? Can we just... No, we can't. We live in a world where there always is some hurt hiding around the next corner. Christ will appear. He will come again for the healing of all things. He will appear a second time to bring salvation, to bring healing, so that this world will have no more hurts hiding around the corner. We won't ever have to say, yes, this is fun, but. Yes, life is good right now, but. It could change in an instant. We won't have to think that way ever again. Every egg you open will be all about encouragement. More chocolate. All joy. Hearts bursting with pride over even the simplest signs of God's goodness. Because there's no hidden hurt to worry about. I won't have to say any freaking more. There's no gluten in that bread. Those are three reasons to hold fast. A real God who came to sacrifice himself because he loves us. And when he comes again, we will experience with him life in this world when it is completely healed. How do we hold fast while we wait? A few thoughts. First, we've got to put the stress in the right place. The stress is on him. When you read verse 28, and it says that Jesus, the King, the Messiah, the the Healer, the Savior, the Redeemer, will appear a second time to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The emphasis of the grammar is squarely on the word him. The stress is on him. This is a personal anticipation When we are holding fast to Jesus, we are waiting for a person to appear. What do you do when you're eagerly waiting for someone to come? What do you do? We buy mac and cheese because that's what we call it in our house. It's not mac and cheese, it's mac and cheese. We buy lots of boxes of cheap mac and cheese because that is what our kids like to eat. It's comfort food. We buy coffee creamer. We don't drink coffee. Our kids do. We buy just the right kind, the sweet cream vanilla kind. We buy sleepy time vanilla tea because that's what Caroline and Patch love to drink. What do you, you start sending texts to the people you're waiting for. You start buying gifts. You start stocking the pantry. Now, I'm not telling you that Jesus wants to find mac and cheese in your pantry when he comes back. Maybe he does. I don't know. 
I'm not telling you whether he's going to be a tea drinker or a coffee drinker. Probably depends on what you like most. I'm not telling you how to stock the pantry. I'm telling you, when we're waiting for someone to come, we start to integrate delight for that person into everything we do. We can't stop thinking about how fun it's going to be when they get here. And so every time we open the fridge and see that coffee creamer there, we're reminded we are waiting eagerly for Abby to come home. Waiting for Jesus is like that. Here are three ways to integrate that kind of eagerness for Jesus into daily life. Do it with your ears every day. Kind of take this assessment. What voices are telling me, Jesus, that you are only make-believe, you're a pretend, you're a game, you're not real? What voices are telling me that loving you is not worth it? Help me to hear your voice. Tune my ears. Make me really aware of all those voices. Because they will remind me to listen for your voice. Let's wait with our eyes. Every day, Jesus, there's a path of self-love out there waiting for me. The path of no thanks, I got this, I can do better for myself kind of self-love. Where would that path lead me if I followed it? Jesus, help me see the path of self-sacrifice instead. And every step I take on that path, sacrificing something of myself for loving another, brings me closer to you. Sacrifice yourself to love me. Give me eyes to see all the dangerous places that those pleasant-looking paths of self-love would ultimately lead me. So I have clarity to find among all of them that path of self-sacrificial love that you paved, tuning our ears and our eyes and our hearts. This may be the hardest one to do with regularity. Jesus, in my heart, what hidden hurts am I most afraid of as I look to the future? Can we pause, slow down long enough regularly? I don't know if you can do this every day. Every few days, once a week, once every couple weeks. Just to honestly reflect on... Where, where are the rattlesnakes I'm afraid are going to pop out at me among the Easter eggs? Where's the ice that's going to come out of nowhere and crush the ship? What hidden hurt am I afraid of? And instead of trying to pretend it all away, I want to look it in the face because it will deepen my desire for you to return and heal everything because I don't want to live with that kind of fear anymore. That way we can kind of start to turn the eyes from something that threatens us to it becomes the path to safety. 
So the things I'm afraid of make me more aware of my longing for Jesus to return. The paths of self-love make me more aware of my need to be transformed by the love of Jesus for me. The voices that are telling me none of this is worth it, let it go. Don't hold fast to it. Reminding me to listen for his voice. The endurance was crushed by the ice. And then the ice became the path to safety as all the crew and all the sled dogs camped on ice for about six months until they could get to land. Holding to Jesus can make a world that feels like it will destroy us become a place of safety because of who we know him to be. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord Jesus, that's a lot to take in. Maybe too much. <laughs> it's the preaching. It's always the preaching. Um, thank you for being the kind of Savior who comes into our world. Thank you for being the kind of God who loves people who want to leave the church. He loves people who are full of doubt. He loves people who are full of fear. Weak people who can't heal ourselves. You have to come to bring healing to our world. Thank you for loving us in that way. Do a mysterious thing among us today. Cause us to love you more deeply than we ever have before. Even those of us who've never taken you seriously at all before this day, cause us to love you. Do this as evidence of how good you are. We pray in your name. Amen. Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. Every time the church has gathered to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper for 2,000 years, that's been 